thank you three for the beautiful visuals and vocals and instrument. We're so grateful. Let's pray together. Living God, we thank you for this reminder through song, all of our songs this morning, that you are, for us who believe, a rock of life, not like the shifting sands of things in culture, history that constantly have changed, but you, in the midst even of difficulties, you are the strong rock upon whom we build our life. Help us to do that better. Help us to build our life more clearly upon you. Help us to seek you as the master builder so that you might construct our life upon your great foundation. We pray, Jesus, this day that you would be set free in this space, in these moments that we have set aside, that you have called us to, so that we too might, by your Holy Spirit, have ears that are cleared out so that we can hear. And if we hear, help us also to respond. May we have hearts that are tender towards you and primarily you. We pray that we would be obedient. And may our love for you be demonstrated in the way that we simply say yes to you. Yes, Jesus, as you lead us. Walk with us now. Teach us. Your Word is described as that which is a sharpened sword able to penetrate deeply into our life, probing our soul, the very depths of who we are. And we pray today would be another day that we would know that to be true and that too would be our confession that Your Word is living and active. Thank You, God. Jesus, it's in Your name and for Your sake that we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, here we are, the first Sunday of April. Welcome to April. It's hard to believe, uh, 2017 in April. Uh, I love this time of the year for a lot of reasons. Uh, we have thanked God for a lot of rain on the heels of many years of drought, and we've rejoiced in that. At times, we've said thank you. That's quite enough already, but uh, uh, we're not complaining, right, for the rain. We're so grateful for it. But now we see the benefits of some of that. We get to see the flowers blooming, and fruit trees are blossoming, and the, the hillsides often are lush and green, and it is so wonderful. Part of the reason, another reason that I like April is uh, especially this part of April is because April Fools. It's uh, wonderful. In fact, my older son Owen yesterday he he woke up and he said, "Dad, can I fix you breakfast?" <laughs> I said, "Sure." I wasn't. I didn't think it was uh, April first. I said, "That'd be great." So I hear the refrigerator open and then I hear it close. And there before me, he presents a bowl of Cheerios and a glass of milk and. Um, he pours the milk over the Cheerios, and it's curdled milk, and it sits on top of the Cheerios, doesn't soak in, and he said, April Fool's dead. <laughs> I said, where's my real breakfast? He had taken Cheerios the night before, uh, mixed it with gelatin, put it in the refrigerator so that it hardened, and he'd taken a glass of milk and mixed gelatin in it so it also looked curdled, so that when he poured it on top, it would sit atop it and really gross me out. <laughs> Little did he know that it just made me hungrier. So, A few years ago, uh, I was reading through the IJ, and uh, or, or not the IJ, our local paper here, the, uh, the ARC, and uh, 
There was a two-page two article. It started on the first page and ended on page like 15, and I was reading through it. And I don't get really... I'm a pretty even-keeled guy most of the time, but this story, for some reason, just struck a nerve with me. And it described how much problems the Tiburon community and the police were having uh, with uh, dog droppings along the pathway into Tiburon, along uh, Blackie's Pasture and beyond. And they had gone to the extraordinary step of registering pets with the police department and doing DNA testing on the pets so that if a, if a pet guardian walked and left, um, left gifts behind and didn't clean up after their pet, that they could trace the DNA back to the owner and find the owner. Well, I didn't have to read the whole article. I was pretty incensed. I said, is this what we're spending money on now? <laughs> I said, this is ridiculous. I, I went to work that day or maybe the next day and I worked for Tom Cowley, a member here, and uh, his wife Karen came into the office. And I don't, I don't get too flustered about a lot of things, but I said, Karen, can you believe what they're doing in Tiburon? And I went and explained to her what they were doing. And she said, Bryce, she smiled she said, real gently, you know, as Karen is. She said, did you read the whole article? I said, I didn't need to read the article. You don't understand. Can you believe they're spending money on this sort of thing? And, and she smiled again and she said, you didn't read the whole article. I said, it, I don't need to. I'm outraged at this. And in fact, I'm, I don't write letters very often. I said, I'm going to write a letter, I think. I, this is crazy. And she said, Bryce, if you had read to the end of the article, you would have read a couple of sentences that said April Fool's. <laughs> what, what is so fun, at least for me, about April Fool's is that it is an opportunity, you know, they're gags, they're, they're jokes, but they, they suck you in, usually for a moment, and then you're released, right? That, that's the fun of it. There's, there's kind of a punch and run, and, and it's usually a lot of fun. Um, what happened, what might happen, though, if you're sucked into a deception, but never released from it? If you buy into something that's not true and you begin to operate your life based on that wrong understanding, you're trapped, you're caught up into this deception, but the release never comes. That's troubling for us. Sometimes we do that spiritually in our Christian life because sometimes we, we get sucked into the idea that if, if I really give my life to Christ and I begin to walk with Him and because He loves me, if I trust that, then my life is going to be devoid of issues and problems and struggles, right? Because God becomes a shield, and if He's my shield, then nothing harmful or difficult or challenging will come to my life. And that is not the biblical testimony at all. In fact, it's often quite the contrary. Sometimes we can believe then that, well, if suffering comes or trials come to my life, then I must conclude that God is either not paying attention or He's just not paying attention to me and doesn't really care and so we can buy into that deception. And if we begin to operate out of our spiritual life with that sort of thought, then it distorts and confuses what the reality of the Scripture is. It's not what the biblical witness is. In fact, the biblical witness describes trials throughout from beginning to end. Challenges, growth opportunities, difficulties, episodes of life that you would never desire for yourself. Suffering, in fact, in our letters, we've gone through in these weeks of First Peter. We've looked at how Peter often describes trials 
in the idea of suffering due to following Jesus, and that's what he's talking about, because of our faith in Christ, there sometimes is suffering that comes. He describes in chapter 3 about those who might be tempted because of those who are Christian believers to come and, and to bring difficulty to your life. And we are encouraged to not repay evil with evil, but instead we return it with a blessing. And later in chapter 3, he says, it is better to suffer for doing good if you were to suffer. It's better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. He, in chapter 4, says, uh, prays for them in the painful trial that they're walking through. And then at the end of the book, in chapter 5, it says, he describes God as one who called you to eternal glory after suffering a little bit. God is the one who will restore you. Here's the biblical witness. It is... There's written above the baseline of suffering in life when those seasons come, we hear notes of joy because of our Christian life. And part of as we wrap up our series today, Peter leads us into describing what is the source of joy that might come in the midst of suffering and difficult seasons. What is that source? There are four realities this morning that culminate with this for Peter is the most important. It culminates in the idea of hope. Hope. Four realities that culminate in the idea of hope. Now, this last section actually covers about three chapters, but we're going to hone in on about four verses in the midst of chapter 4. So open with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we'll begin in verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ... You are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. We'll pause there. Joy emerging out of grief. For a lot of us in our culture today, those are not two realities that seem compatible. Grief on the one hand and joy in the other. And how is it that through the ages, Christian witness has been pointing to that reality that out of the most severe trials, there can be sometimes an inexpressible joy that emerges out of it because of the one Jesus who is alive and well and lives in those who have given their life to Him. These are four realities today that's a bit like a basket woven. You can take a basket and you can pull out the individual uh, strands of it, and by itself, it can be somewhat strong and, and helpful. But when you take a basket, and the, the point of basket weaving is that you take these individual strands and you weave them together in such a way that as they go over and under and interweave with each other, that together... They, they form a, a stronger um, reality and a stronger vessel to be used. These four 
uh, truths, these four realities are somewhat that way. Together, they help us understand how joy, even joy, can emerge out of suffering. So number one is the association that we have with a Savior. Because we are associated with a Savior, sometimes suffering can come. In verse 16, it says this, remember, However, you, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. There are other ways that we might suffer in life, right? There are other things that can happen for suffering to come upon us. Can you suffer if you're a jerk to other people? <laughs> yeah, you can. I've suffered in those ways times. Can you suffer because you break the law or hurt other people? Certainly you can. You can suffer because of that. Suffering in this passage is described directly being tied to our identity as Jesus' people. And the unwelcome nature at times for the good news and gospel message of Jesus in a culture that at times does not welcome it. There may be times at school that you're made fun of because of Christian faith. There may be times as a business person that you lose business. You may be slandered among a neighbor because you claim the name of Jesus. And so part of the question for us is how do we respond in the midst of such difficult trials at times? Remember that when those moments come, we are not to return evil for evil or insult for insult, but instead with a blessing. That is the demonstration of the reality of Jesus in you and Jesus in us. So our association with the Savior is one truth and reality that, that is woven together here in the book of toward the end of 1 Peter. Number two is the care of the Father. If we scale down to verse 19 of chapter 4, it says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. They're faithful Creator. We are reminded that God is faithful in the midst of our life. He has demonstrated His faithfulness in the coming of Jesus to die on the cross. He's demonstrated His love that is at such a depth that He would not even withhold His own Son, that He would come and die on our behalf. And so, I know in moments that can be intensely difficult and painful. It's as if the, the picture of our life is like a puzzle. And sometimes the, the moments and seasons of difficulties and trials and sufferings can be so acute and so intense that it's like there's one piece of the puzzle of our life that is so enormous that we can't see any other part of our living. And it becomes overwhelming to us. And sometimes we can hold this peace and we can look at it and we can wonder, God, where are you in this moment? And we can ask, why is this particular struggle come to me? And we can ask God, I didn't want this. I don't want it now. Um, and this can be so difficult for us. But it's only over time, as in the midst of that, we trust and hold on to the reality of God's character. And how do we hold on to the character of God it's not just in the midst of any particular season of our life, but it's in remembering the cross and remembering that God, with a great exclamation point, has declared His love for you, has declared His grace to you, 
And He is holding you in the midst of any suffering that you might walk through. And there will come a day, maybe in this life, maybe in the life to come, where that puzzle piece, or many of them that perhaps have overwhelmed you in different seasons of life, will find its place rightly fit into the puzzle that God is creating out of your life and bringing into sharper focus. Number one is our association with the Savior. A second thread that weaves together in understanding how joy can emerge out of suffering is trusting in the care of the Father. Number three is the support of a family of faith. How important it is to have a supportive community of faith that can walk beside you and huddle around you and pray for you and hold you when you're weak and lift you up when you can't lift yourself This idea is culminated almost at the very last verse, actually in the last verse, 14 of chapter 5. We're told to greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, in my couple years in France, I... uh, uh, you know, I grew up in a pretty isolated area of the world, and uh, going over there, one of the things I, I learned about culturally was the bisou, right? When a, a man greets a woman, there's a touch on the cheek, and, a, and then on the other cheek, and a... Well, before I'd met Susan, it didn't take long before I kind of... That was all right. I liked it. <laughs> and then I met Susan, and it was just her and me then. <laughs> There, there came a point, though, you go to Paris and you do it four times. So that's part of the culture around Paris. And then as you get to know, at least a man to a man, as you get to know other men more uh, personally, you begin to do that same thing to them. And when I first started doing it, it was a little uncomfortable. But I, uh, I realized uh, it's still really interesting for me to know that there are parts of the world and other cultures that still embrace this sort of greeting and welcome that was so common among uh, the believers in Peter's uh, day that they were told to greet each other with this kiss of love. It's a a culmination and an echo of what Peter's already said before about loving each other deeply from the heart and letting our bonds in Christ be so tied together, hearts welded together in a way that it, it becomes really difficult for those bonds to be broken. And it becomes really important that when our brothers and sisters are in need, that we rally around them and we find ways of supporting and ministering to them. It's kind of like the redwood trees that we see so abundantly around here. One of the great things about redwood trees is how long they endure. And one of the reasons they can endure so long is because they're, they're very resistant to fire um, and they grow so toweringly tall and I used to wonder how in the world do they stand up in the face of tremendous windstorms or lots of rain when the rain soaks the ground and washes some of it away, yet so often these redwood trees endure. And one of the keys and understandings to it is the way underneath the surface is the way their root systems become intertwined. One root over another, another root under the this one, and together they provide each other strength in their closeness and in their, uh, their ability to stand strong and to support each other, even in the face of real difficult challenges. So, our association with the Savior is number one. A second strand is the care and our trust in the character of God, the care of the Father. Third is the support of a spiritual family. And finally this morning, and how Peter really culminates this uh, idea of joy emerging um, even out of suffering, is our hope 
our hope of glory. The hope of glory. Let's go back to verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. There's a pattern in Peter, it seems to me, that there are moments when he talks about the slander that might come from a culture onto the Christian community, followed by vindication of that. And in fact, in the first verses of chapter 4, he describes this way that It's almost like this picture that when Christians have a willingness to suffer for the name of Jesus, it is like a sign that we have broken away from sin and sinful patterns in our life, that it becomes almost a sign that sin no longer has rule over my heart and my life, but Jesus does. And sometimes our suffering because of the name of Jesus is a sign of our willingness to suffer for the name of Jesus. In fact, in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 5, he says, And the God of grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Eternal glory follows suffering for a little while. Suffering followed by glory. Rejection followed by honor. Slander followed by vindication. Any name that that reminds you of? Any life that was lived that that reminds you of? What about Jesus? Jesus who suffered and that suffering on the cross was followed by the glory of the resurrection and the ascension back to be beside the Father. Jesus suffered rejection by men and ultimately... His name will be honored. The book of Philippians tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus' life, He was slandered and spat upon and beaten and bruised by others. And Easter morning, His life was vindicated. The Apostle Paul writes it similarly but different. He says, My hope is to know you, Jesus, And the power of your resurrection, don't we all like that idea? We want to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus, the power over illness, the power uh, over uh, sinful patterns, the power to be redeemed and renewed. But Paul goes on, I want to know you, Jesus. I want to know the power of your resurrection and to share in your sufferings. And to share in your sufferings, that too is part of the Christian calling. That is what Peter's trying to point out to his the people listening and to us today, that even though we may walk sometimes out of step with the culture around us, we are to be those who put our faith and hope in Christ. And if we suffer because of the name of Jesus, we shouldn't be surprised by it. There will come times when that is part of who we are and part of our life calling in Christ. If you pull out, out of your bulletin, this little insert at the top that says Everyday Church. This is our last Sunday in this series, and I want to spend a couple of moments just reviewing with you. We started several weeks ago, and uh, we looked at life at the margins and how Peter describes the Christian community. Remember, I've tried to say over and over again that that first century Roman world 
to which Peter was writing is very similar, not unlike a first century Bay Area world, Marin County world. And uh, the, the believers in Christ lived at the margins of society. And no matter what point of history Christians live in, no matter what culture they find themselves in, there are always going to be seasons where we walk and moments or issues where we walk out of step with the culture around us because we are walking in step with the Spirit of God. And that's just to be expected in our living. And then we looked at everyday community. And uh, we looked at what, what is, how does Peter describe the identity of the church? And he uses these really interesting images about individual believers being living stones because Jesus Himself is the first living stone that gives life to other individuals. And God draws these individuals as living stones. And He does His work of building the church. And He takes one stone and puts another stone on it and begins to build a wall. Jesus Himself is the cornerstone, and the cornerstone is the one laid first because you know the direction of the building and you know where it is to be placed and how the walls are to be aligned. And so you start with Christ, and then each living stone is built and placed on the other, one life on another, together building a spiritual house, not just living individual lives out there, but living lives that are shared and in common and in support to each other. That's Christian living. That is everyday community. And then everyday pastoral care. We looked at the idea that you don't have to have a title of pastor to be pastoring each other. That Peter describes us as a royal priesthood. Together, those who are redeemed in Christ now have the indwelling of the Spirit so that you too can pastor each other. You can point each other to Jesus and encourage each other and cheer each other on on your journey of faith with the Lord. And then we looked a few weeks ago at everyday mission and the idea that uh, our mission life is to be one that is literally every day. That uh, we, we walk uh, together. Uh, we share the Gospel together. We talked about, uh, I shared with you the story of, um, you may remember of the, the X-Files parties that uh, uh, some in, in a former uh, faith community had where we intentionally together blended our church community together with non-Christian people on purpose so that together we could participate in sharing the good news of Jesus and doing this sort of evangelism. So it's not always a solitary pursuit or endeavor that we can support each other and work together at it. And then we looked, uh, we heard right up here the, the great testimony of Mansour and Kiana, two lives that have been changed that God brought from Iran to Michigan to Mill Valley. And here in Mill Valley, um, He uh, culminated His search for them and uh, planted you guys in this church. And we were so uh, delighted to hear how God is alive and active right here in Marin County. And there are people eager right around us to hear and to engage in conversation. Don't believe or buy into the deception that nobody is interested in hearing. Um, and then last week we talked about everyday evangelism and where everyday mission is, is sort of the idea that we can do things regularly, intentionally, orient our life toward missions and we do things together but there are also moments where we do things individually. And I shared with you the story of a workman at my house 
who had his toolbox in one hand and his ear protectors on his head. And uh, we stood there for 15 minutes and unexpectedly God opened an opportunity for me to talk about uh, my joy in the Lord. And sometimes I miss those opportunities. I don't know about you. You're probably better at it than me. But sometimes we miss the opportunities, but sometimes we see them and we catch them and we enter into them and we need to be ready and equipped and prepared uh, to give a reason for the hope whenever God would open that opportunity and to do it with gentleness and respect. And then you're invited last week. You might remember this blue insert. You're invited if you still have this at home maybe and you haven't had the opportunity to do it, but to go out to an area of your world that's meaningful. Maybe your neighborhood or around your apartment complex or uh, a square in your town, whatever it is, shopping mall. And to go and look with fresh eyes. Maybe it's a place you've been a hundred thousand times. But to go out and look and to find that which is new out of something that's very familiar to you. Maybe it's not familiar, but it's an area you want to become more familiar And you're invited, if you haven't done it, you're invited again to go to an area and just simply ask how God's life might be made known to these people who are right in your neighborhood and how God might want to do that through you or how He might want you to connect that person to the Christian community. And then to listen, to listen to how the Spirit might put impressions upon your heart and you might be amazed at and surprised at how God will speak to you. That is our series. We're wrapping it up today. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. We will be um, starting our Holy Week look. Uh, Glenn Prescott, our former uh, executive pastor, will be back in town. He has come. Uh, he will be here for the. Uh, why can't I never remember the word? Commissioning is not right. The opening of the new campus over in the East Bay. And he's going to stay an extra day and he's going to come and preach uh, that Sunday. And uh, So you'll want to be here for that. And uh, Holy Week, you uh, have a description of what is happening next week with Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and then, of course, Easter morning. Um, so we hope that you can avail yourself to as much as, uh, as you're able uh, in your growth in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your goodness and Your grace. We thank You that You are a God who guides us through Your books of the Bible and uh, that we have an opportunity to hear and to respond. We pray today that this series perhaps has culminated with this idea of hope, that we have been born again into a living hope with an eternal inheritance. And God, that, that shapes everything about who we are. And we know that there are, there are times because of our Christian calling and our following of You that it puts us out of step with those around us, perhaps. And that's, that's hard when trials come because of that or suffering comes because of that. Yet, we stand in our hope that is living and abiding. We stand with the promise that You have made that there is an inheritance waiting that is forever and ever. And You are a good promise maker and You are always a promise keeper and we are so thankful for that. So this morning, reassure our hearts. Help us in the baseline of suffering seasons to pay attention to the notes of joy that You elicit out of that because You've put a new perspective in our hearts and You help us see the world with different eyes. 
And then you help move our feet and our hands in the midst of it, not returning evil for evil or insult with insult, but in love serving others and bestowing beauty upon them instead. We do it because You have done it. We do it because You are the great model. You are the first one to have done it. And You know what it is to encourage us to also be like You in it. So help us. It's hard. Help us to be strong. Help us to know Your strength so that we truly can be a demonstration of the Gospel, not just with words, but in deeds. May the people in this county look to You and rejoice in You because of the love and the joy that they see among Your people here. Somehow make that a reality for us. We pray that You would let us see that privilege and participate in it. In Jesus' name, together. Amen.